are continuing a message series called Sayeth, and it's, if you haven't been here for this series, you can go back onto our website, trinityhudson.org, and, and hit the media tab, and that has all of the sermons, not only from this series, but over the past years. And uh, what we've been doing, if you haven't seen this, um, if you go to that site, not only do we have the sermon listed there, the message there, there's a description of the message plus Bible verses, so that if you want to do some personal or more study on what you hear uh, on Sundays, uh, you can do that through those Bible verses, or if you have, if you're in a small group and you're like, what should we study next, um, or if you want to get some people together, you can go on that website and kind of dive in a little bit deeper. So, um, but this series is called Sayeth. Basically, the word Sayeth is a, a word that means utterance. If you know the old English portions of the Bible, thus saith the Lord. That's where we got that word from. And really what we're talking about is the Lord or God communicating to humanity and how he does that. Okay, so quick review. Again, uh, like what Sherry said, week one we were challenged with what Samuel was challenged with in terms of a question or a statement. And whenever we sense God moving us toward doing something or, or whenever we're like, God, I want to hear your voice. I need to hear guidance in my voice. We ask, or we say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Because we get so busy and tied up that we never take time to just sort of slow down and say, God, what is it that you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to move forward? What is your guiding and leading? Last week, uh, as was mentioned, we talked about Jonah and the amazing thing that, you know, in Jonah, Jonah 3, where God comes to Jonah a second time after Jonah has run away. And we were challenged with the question, if I followed through on what I sense God leading me to do, if I follow through on moving forward, is the outcome good for God? Not for me, but is the ultimate outcome good for God? And we are challenged with this because we often make decisions on our, we often decide what we want to listen to based on if it's going to be good for me, if the outcome is good for me. So we're just processing the overall question, does, does God still speak to us today? And if he does, what does he say? Now, if you're not a believer, if, you're not, if you don't go to church, you're not a Christian, you know, when you hear this thing, God speaking to us Christ followers, it's like, I knew it. They're crazy. They're hearing voices, right? That's not how it is. It's not, for some people, there is an audible voice. For most people, we, we don't hear an audible voice. We have impressions upon our spirit. We're, we're like, we just sense God leading us to do something. Um, God speaks to us in many ways. The primary way is through his word, through the Bible. If you are sensing God do, leading you to do something that's outside of the Bible, it is not God. It's the pizza you had last night. It's a past experience, but it's not God. You know, God won't say, steal from the rich to give to the poor. God won't say, I'm going to divorce my spouse because I've just lost that love and feeling. God doesn't say that. So through the, through the Bible is the main way that we hear. There's other times we hear God speaking. Um, for me, there are just still small voices. There's impressions that, that happen on your spirit. And I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago at our downtown campus. Um, there was a time in college when I was sitting in, a, in one of my college classrooms, and uh, I was listening to the, the professor talking, and then all of a sudden this, this, like, this small voice impressed upon me this phrase that says, go home now. I'm like, 
you know, run home forest kind of is what I felt. Run home, run home. No, I was like, what is that? And I, and I just sat there, and then it just kind of repeated, go home now. So I, I got up, I grabbed my stuff right in the middle of his lecture, and I went home. And when I walked in, there on the couch was our neighbor, his, uh, the, the neighbor's son, his name is Brian. Now, Brian had been missing for two and a half weeks. He was in high school at this time. He had got hooked on drugs and had left his house, and every, we were all worried about him. The whole neighborhood was. And nobody had seen him at all or heard from him. You know, we didn't have the technology we do now. And I walked in, and there he was. I didn't wake him up because I knew he was on drugs or it had been in the past. I went across the street, got his mom. His mom came. They, they called, you know, authorities. They got him set up. But it was that still small voice. And come to find out, he had been living at our house for two and a half weeks during the day when my parents were gone and we were all gone. And then at night, I don't, we don't know where he went. And that, which explains a lot because I got blamed for all the food missing in the house. I was like, that's him. It's his fault. So God speaks in many different ways. And then one of the other ways that he speaks to us is through dreams. Um, there's a whole study about dreams, interpretation of dreams, you know, the colors, the shapes, the, is there water, there's rocks, you know, what does that all mean? Um, and then also dreams and visions. And a vision is just, you, you see something that just doesn't look normal or right, or something happens, or you have a conversation, let's say, and, and there's just this vision of, of, of something um, that actually brings us to our story today of Moses and the burning bush. Now, the vision that Moses saw is not a vision of just this weird, oh, I'm kind of spacey. It was an actual bush. It was actually burning and on fire. So we're going to take a look at Exodus 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that. Exodus 3, verses 1 to 12 is what we'll look at. Um, quick story about Moses. He was how we got to this place before we continue. Moses was born a Hebrew. He was uh, raised, actually, uh, raised in Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh's daughter uh, found him, actually, one of her servants found him, raised him in Pharaoh's household, basically as Pharaoh's grandson. Now, they didn't have those relationships back then because Pharaoh was Pharaoh. Nobody was in relationship with Pharaoh. But in terms of the structure, Moses was Pharaoh's grandson. Moses, as he grew up one day, he was walking around watching the Egyptians manage the Hebrew slaves. And the Hebrews were building this massive city for Pharaoh at the time. And Moses sees this Egyptian beating up on one of the Hebrew slaves. And Moses gets so mad because of the injustice of this, the slave probably didn't do anything. So in the Bible, it's great. You've got to read the stories. Moses is standing there. He sees this Egyptian. He gets so mad. He, and this is what it says in the Bible. He looks to the left. He looks to the right. And then he kills the Egyptian. It was awesome. If you saw the uh, Cecil B. DeMille, uh, Ten Commandments, anybody, see, anybody know what I'm talking about? Please help me, old people. Yes, okay, older people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was an awesome scene, you know, and he, he kills this Egyptian and buries him in the sand. And then Pharaoh finds out about it through the, another situation, and there's these death threats on Moses' life, so he boogies out of town. He runs for the hills, runs for the desert, meets up with a guy and marries one of his daughters, and so now he just becomes a shepherd. So he's been shepherding all these years, and which brings us to Exodus 3. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is Horeb or Mount Sinai. It's kind of the same area in the same region. The angel there, the angel of the Lord, appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. 
This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? i got to go see this thing. When the Lord saw Moses coming closer, God called to him from the middle of the bush. He says, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father. And then, and then God says, identifies himself as the God, like the, the man. He's, he's the guy. I'm God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And every Jewish person back then, every Israelite would have known that phrase of saying, this is God. This is the creator of the world. Then the Lord told Uh, told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave driver, because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Sidebar, you might be here thinking that God doesn't see your suffering. You might be here or listening listening to the podcast or wherever. You might be thinking, I'm in the middle of suffering. God has left the building. He's deserted me. He doesn't care. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. He started the world. Now he's up kind of watching and doesn't know what's going on. God knows every aspect of your life. He knows every hurt that you feel. He knows every situation of suffering that you are involved in. No matter how horrible or even if it's just a minor frustration. He knows your suffering, and he hears about your suffering. And as a result of his mercy and love, back to the story, he tells Moses this. He goes, this is what I'm going to do. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And that phrase was used oftentimes to describe a paradise, to describe a night, because milk and honey in that culture with no refrigeration or air, air control at all, honey was just hard to process, milk you just couldn't, keep, couldn't uh, keep good. So he wants to lead the people out to this wonderful land. Look, God says, the cry of the people Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Moses says this, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, think about this. The death threat is still, the warrant for his arrest is still out there. He left this area. Now God is telling him to go back into a situation that potentially could kill him. That potentially as he's standing in front of Pharaoh, Pharaoh could see him and have him killed right there with no recourse. And yet God is asking him, God is telling him, I want you to go back there. What feeling do you think Moses is portraying in this statement of his response? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who, who am I to lead the people of Israel? If you know the story, he, he starts making up all these things. I'm just not good at speaking. I'm not a public speaker. I didn't take that class in high school. I, I just, you know, I'm not good. I don't think I'm the guy. I think you're not t- talking to the right guy. The feeling Moses is feeling here, first of all, is doubt. I mean, this is important. You know, Moses... He, 
Moses, think, Moses, the, 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 the king of the Bible, if you will, the king of the Old Testament stories. This is like one of the fathers of our faith, if you will, and he has doubts. He's not supposed to have that. He's a God follower, right? Aren't Christians supposed to be just perfect? Aren't we supposed to never have a doubt? I mean, this is the guy that wrote the first five books of the Bible and possibly Job, and yet he's standing in front of God doubting. And the reason this is important to your faith is this. You cannot control when doubt comes over you. You just can't. You can't control the feeling of doubt. It happens based on past experience. You're in a situation. You're, there's somebody that, that reminds you of somebody else. There's this doubt that happens on you, this fear. The key, though, is what are you going to do with that doubt? Christian or not, what are you going to do with that emotion of doubt? How do you handle it? So God gives him the answer. God helps Moses out in this next phrase. He says this. God answers Moses. He says, hey, don't worry. I'm going to be with you. Now, here's, this is important here, too. Remember, Mo, nothing has happened to Moses yet. There ha, Mo, Moses hasn't encountered God on a personal level yet. Okay? He hasn't, there's, there hasn't been no pillars of fire, no clouds, no, no column of fire, no splitting of the Red Sea, no Ten Commandments, no water from the rock. That was all supposed to happen in the future. I mean, how hard is it for you to trust someone when you've had no experience with them? It's kind of rough, right? That's what Moses is feeling here. And now before Moses asks for it, before Moses asks for a sign, how many of you said, God, if, I need to, if I'm supposed to take this job, you know, you'll just let this, ha- you'll, give me a sign, Lord. Give me a sign. Mo- before Moses asks for that, God just dives in and he says, this is going to be your sign. This is the sign I am that I am the one who has sent you. And here's the sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Is this present tense or future tense? It's future, right? When I'm dealing with doubt, when I'm dealing with my own doubts, when I'm sensing God moving me or our church or whatever, I want to I have it all laid out. I want the email from God. I want it on a spreadsheet. I want a Venn diagram or charts. I want the whole PowerPoint presentation from God before I even move forward, before I even talk about this. It, it's just, I, I, I want it all. But God is saying, no, 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 no. It's easy to do that. When you, take it, when, you, when you move forward, that's when I will confirm my presence and my power in your life. It's afterwards. It's trust. It's faith. God keeps saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. See, the problem that you and I have is the same one that, that Moses has. You know, Moses wanted to know for sure. He wanted 100% confirmation that God is God, this God, this voice that I'm hearing is, is God and everything's going to work out. You know, for us, we do the same thing. We want to make sure the right decision is made, the right choice, the right thing that we do. We ask God, God, what's the plan for my life? As if he's going to tell us. You, do, you discover God's purpose for your life for, by doing one thing. Ready? I'm going to show you. Ready? 
That's it. That is how you discover God's purpose for your life. You get this sense that God's leading you in a certain way. You get to, I, I think it's out there. I'm, I'm kind of sensing things happening this way. And then you, did you miss that? Should I do it again? When we start the Goliath challenge race, right at the starting line, we, we kind of know what the finish line is like. We have no idea what's going to happen on the course. But we do know that it, we just have to take that first step. That's how God is. Sometimes he moves us ahead. Sometimes he's right there. Most of the time in our life, especially with, like with Moses, he's saying, trust me, I'm going to be with you. All you need to do is first take a step. And, and the reason, the, this is why most of us Christians don't do what we sense God leading them to do, is because of our fear and our doubt, we go, ah, no. And we walk away. Here's another way to say it. The falsity of fear is greater than the follow-through of faith. Isn't that true when we're stuck, when we're facing a situation, we sense God moving us forward, especially if it's scary? I'm supposed to, I think we're supposed to move back home to family. I think we're supposed to, you know, take this other job. I think I'm supposed to go to a different, change my major in college. And then we get scared. We hear God asking us not to lead a nation, but to lead our families into the truth of God's love. But because we don't think we can talk right about the Bible or because we're afraid of saying the wrong thing, we let the falsity of fear trump our, fo- our follow-through of faith, and we just don't say anything at all to our families or friends. Like last week's message, we hear God asking us to invite our neighbor to church or to talk to somebody at work or school about God's encouragement, and we let fear override faith. As church leaders and ministry leaders, we let the fear of facts cloud our judgments in making decisions based on our faith in God. In balance, we as church leaders and as a church need to let faith inform the facts, not the other way around. If you've ever been on a church stewardship team, it's the most frustrating team to be on. It is. It's really hard because we're dealing with an unknown of, of the finances. We're doing the best we can. And praise God, uh, as a church, you have to know, our teams are fantastic. We've come, yeah, I mean, come up on, on a positive side in our finances. Things are, are well. We're healthy. I mean, it's always tight constantly. But it's so bizarre in a church. You know, I come from the business world. I'm going off script, so I'll just close that. I'm going, um, I come from the business world, and so I, I understand the importance of, of making sure the P&L statements are right and making sure that the, the bottom line is zero and that you're good. But in a church, you can't do that, especially if you're trying to move forward. If we as a church don't want to do anything, we, well, that's fine. We'll just let fa- facts override faith. But if we want to move forward and reach more people for Christ, if we want to meet, reach forward and more, reach more students for Christ and reach the world for Christ, We've got to let faith inform the facts, not the other way around. You get me on this? You understand this? It's hard. I'll tell you, if you're on the leadership teams, you guys know it's hard because we're, we're like, we want to see it all laid out. But what if God says, I'm not going to lay it out for you. You need to do this first. So the question for this week, for you individually. Remember, we talked about the other two questions. This is the, the third question for this week. What falsity of fear is greater than your follow-through of faith? What fear is holding you back from taking that first step? 
and seeing what God can do. You may be challenged right now to take this summer to get healthy physically, but you spread, you just, you're scared out of your mind because of the work it might take. You may be challenged to clear up something relationally that you just would rather let slide because you don't like conflict. You may be challenged right now to finally surrender the, li- the reins of your life to Christ because you're tired of the way it's going. You just know the story of Jesus and it's finally time, but you're scared. The beauty is that God speaks into all of that. Thus saith the Lord. He speaks all around you and he calls to you. Trust me, I will be with you as you lead, as you step out. And when you're feeling stuck or like life is at a standstill, just stop, look around, and listen for the voice of God. There just might be a burning bush right around the corner. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. Father, as we think about this, this story of Moses, just a picture of him coming around the corner, seeing a burning bush and kind of freaking out, hearing your voice and everything, that whole conversation and that moment of starting and taking that first step, which leads to, from that, from that point all the way until your son Jesus comes back, that we'll be celebrating the start of that moment that, that, um, that Moses leads his people, leads us out of slavery. Father, that's a scary thing. In our own individual lives, God, it's scary to follow you. It is. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We know how we're supposed to lead individually in our own personal life, in our families, in our community, in our church. But it takes faith. It takes a step. It takes trust. So, Father, in all of our lives, help us not let the falsity of fear trump our follow-through of faith. Lord, we trust you, and I don't know what that looks like in each person's life, but let this be a starting point of making our lives better through your power, through the power of your spirit. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.